Hey, creepy people. This is P&W Haunts and Homicides. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Cassie. Together, we explore stories of the paranormal and true crime throughout the Pacific Northwest. We're just two normal-ish friends who wanted more creepy local stories. Our episodes start with a tarot reading to help us gain some insight on each topic as we share the facts of the case and our interpretations. Come join us. We've got plenty of wine, laughs, and stories to share. You can find our episodes featuring true stories from infamous as well as lesser-known true crime cases like the murders in Tunnel 13 and Forest Park. As well as our spooky stories from Pike Place in the Oregon Vortex on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and many more. For all of you that are listening, if you have any true crime or paranormal stories that you want us to share, email us at pnwhauntsandhomicides at gmail.com. Have Have a a creepy creepy ass ass day. On this episode of Common Mystics, we are led by the spirit of a daughter who screams out to us from the shadows of her father's illustrious persona. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are common mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And our story today comes to you from Elmira, New York. That's right. And Jennifer? Jill. We've been holding on to this story for about a year. We have. So take us back to when we first were called to go to Elmira, New York. Absolutely. You and I were visiting our sister Jessica. That's right. In McGraw, New York. The creepy little town. Creepy little. We loved it. Love. We love creepy little towns. That's That's, our vibe. That's exactly what we are here for it. Exactly. But it was a creepy little town. (laughs) And we were leaving there back in 2021. That's right. And figuring out, where are we going to go next? You set the intention. I sure did, which was, as it always is, to find a verifiable story previously unknown to us that gives voice to the voiceless. I knew in the car that our next story was going to be about someone famous. How'd you know? I just knew I'm psychic. Oh, oh, yeah. you did, like, that was what <laughs> you're, yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. There was more that you were feeling, though. That's right. I was feeling like the author vibe, similar to that that feeling I had when I was walking around McGraw to you, like an author, mm-hmm. and poetry, mm-hmm. that was what I was feeling. I was getting something a little different. What were you getting? I was hearing a man say, my daughter, my daughter, like calling out to me. That sounds intense. It was intense. Yeah. We were deciding on where to go next. Well, to be fair, we were looking for a story on our way back On our way west. home. Yeah. And then... And then, so I am sitting in the passenger seat, and I I am supposed to be the navigator, and I was feeling Elmira. I'm like, we need to go to Elmira. I don't know why, but I just had this strong pull. And to be clear, Elmira is east of where we were. Right. So usually what happens in situations like these is I say, Jill, I feel like we should go here. And you usually say, I'm not going there. That's out of our way. Forget it. We need to compromise. I, sometimes, sometimes that is true. And this time I was just like, let's do it. Even so though, I was surprised. I was like, oh shit, we're doing it? No one's more surprised than me because I'm like, this is fucking out of our way. It was man. out of our way. But we did it. I mean, we were both, in other words, we were both kind of pulled there. You knew even though it's going to put hours on this trip, there's something there. Something is calling us. True statement. Mm-hmm. So we went. 
We arrive in the city of Elmira, and right away, we start seeing references to none other than Mark Twain. Makes absolutely no sense. Well, because in our minds, Mark Twain is from the Midwest. Is He's a Missouri guy, isn't he? For sure. He grew up on the Mississippi. It's, was he lost? Why I, was he here? Yeah, I I don't know much about Mark Twain, but um, I associate him with Missouri. So when we were in Elmira and seeing references to Mark Twain, like the Mark Twain Motor Inn and the Mark Twain Travel Agency, we were very, very confused. But also... We were thinking, could our story have something to do with Mark Twain? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, go ahead. We were driving around and we were pondering, like, it, it felt like it was fitting all the boxes, right? Mm-hmm. But suspicious death kept coming up for me. Okay. And I was like, I don't I don't know what this is. But we were kind of flushing it out mm-hmm. in the car together. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like there was a death that left a lot of questions. That's right. And also a feeling of crime or criminal activity. Similar to the way we were feeling around our story in Devil's Lake with Otis. Wisconsin, right. Yes. When we were in Wisconsin. Yes. Similar kind of criminality, mm, like, like slimy, mm, underhanded. Mm. And we didn't really like Otis. So that kind of like, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like That's that, fair. Mm-hmm, we didn't like Otis and we didn't like this energy coming through. Exactly. So we're driving around town. And we get to this intersection. And on the corner is a mansion, but beautiful mansion. It's run down. Well, it is. It's obvious nobody lives there. Like there are boarded up windows. There's a big hole in the foundation. Like there was nobody living there. It's a great house. But I love big old houses, Mm -hmm. and we usually are drawn to big old structures for absolutely obvious Obvious reasons. reasons. But this one, we noticed it was extra special. There was a bunch of kittens all over the property. It was the cutest thing on earth. So what did we do? The kittens had their own mansion. (laughs) We pulled over. We pulled over. Yes. And we got out of the car and Jill is literally trying to catch. I was going to get me a kitten. (laughs) She's trying to catch these feral cats. I like texted my husband. I'm like, I'm getting me a kitten. I'm going to kitten hunting. I'm getting me a kitten. And he was like, do you know how long your ride home is going to be with a feral cat in the car? I'm like, I'm getting a kitten. You, you I really, tried everything. You did try everything. We brought out food from the car. <laughs> we we must have been there for about 45 minutes. I loved every second. The The neighbors, by the way, were watching us. I hope it's, you know it's that. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> well, we didn't catch a kitten. By the way, when we were driving around Elmira, I felt like this town had, or the city had a identity crisis, right? Because we come through, it felt like, like a small town but then it felt rust belty like an industrial town but then all of a sudden we're driving around and it feels like a vacation area Mm -hmm. it had so many different energies going on and ultimately it was that vacation area that was pulling us up a hill right well you know elmira i'll tell you just a little bit about about the history of the town and and this is from elmiradowntown.com Elmira is located pretty close to Canada, Mm. and because of that, it played an important role in the Underground Railroad. And actually, during the Civil War, Elmira had a prisoner of war camp there, and the prisoners dubbed it Hellmira because of the conditions. Mm. 
in that camp. The inmates who died there were buried in a nearby cemetery called Woodlawn. You know, I I don't know. I think Elmira has a lot of energy for that reason alone. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know why we were there at that point, but... We were focused on Mark Twain. Absolutely. Like I said, it was it felt consistent with the the writer, author, mm-hmm. poetry vibe mm-hmm. I was getting. So it seemed right until our surprise, like, dude, Mark Twain? Right. Like, yeah, that seems to fit. Right. So we drove around and found ourselves at a place called Quarry Farm. Mm-hmm. We would come to find out that Quarry Farm, where we were, was a place where the Twains, or if I'm being super correct, the Clemenses, because Mark Twain's real name is Sam Clemens, where the family stayed during the summers. And Jill, just kind of tell us about what that property looks like. It was absolutely gorgeous. It felt, it was like sprawling anchorage on top of a hill. So you can look down over the town, but was really, really getting our attention there are these weird planters parallel to the side of the road, They're, very close, like almost like where a curb would be in a city. Exactly. That's how close to the road it was. And we were being drawn to these weird, large planters that almost reminded me of graves so much so that I was like, are people buried here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, they looked like graves. For like, sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. And they also had inscribed on them some names and dates, just like you would see on a tombstone. Mm-hmm. So... For instance, the names that we saw were Langdon Clemens, 1870, Jean, 1880, Olivia Susan Clemens, March 9th, 1872 to August 18th, 1896. Mm. It felt just like grave. So then we read those names and dates and we're like, okay. There's something calling us to the grave, to the graves themselves. And, and it, these aren't graves. These are planters. They could be, though, because it looked like it. it but they, they, it was planters. But we recognize Clemens, Mark Twain. Of course. So tell me a little bit about Quarry Farm. So according to Wikipedia, Quarry Farm is located on East Hill overlooking the city of Elmira, New York. And it also overlooks the River Valley. So it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a beautiful property. In 1869, Jervis Langdon purchased the property as a vacation home for his family. And when he died the following year, it was inherited by his eldest daughter, Susan Langdon Crane. And it remained in the Langdon family until 1982 when it was donated to Elmira College as part of the founding of the Center for Mark Twain Studies. That's a long time for it to be in the family, Mm -hmm. but I'm still confused. And what did Mark Twain have to do with this property? Yeah, good question. Well, Mark Twain, i.e. Samuel Clemens, was married to Susan Crane's youngest sister, Olivia Langdon Clemens. Mm. And during their courtship, Twain promised Livy that he would never allow her to feel homesick. And so he made sure that the family summered there at Quarry Farm every year over the course of three decades. Oh my gosh. What a romantic that one. Oh, yeah. Right. And actually, Twain wrote a lot of his work here on this property. I did not know that. And in fact, okay, do you remember when we were at Quarry Farm? Yes. We weren't drawn to the house. No. No, we were drawn to the property. We're usually drawn to houses. We are. I have to tell you. We are, but not this time. Well, there was a car. We didn't feel like being arrested that day. That's a true statement. And we were not going to trespass when there were like people there, but we kind of walked the grounds, just outside the grounds. 
Right. Right? And we were drawn to the actual land. There was a little fuzzy area whether or not this was actual <laughs> trespassing. But right. we were we were in a place where we can play dumb really well. So Twain Jill, when he was summering there, he didn't write in the main house. There was actually a little study that was built for him on the grounds about 200 yards away from the main shed house. Up. That makes sense. I know, right? He had a she shed. He had a he shed. She shed. She said. <laughs> she said. I'll get it. You were just reading from Wikipedia, right? Right. They didn't have any mention of the grave markers or the planters that look like grave markers? Not at all. So they must not have been actual graves. They certainly look like actual graves. They told us that we needed to find the graves is what that was telling us. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. So when in doubt, what do we do? Go, Go to, to the, the cemetery. cemetery. And we went to Woodlawn Cemetery. We got our feels on and we traveled down the hill to Woodlawn Cemetery. And as it turns out, that is the resting place of the Clemens family. By the way, what? if you remember when we were in the cemetery, people walking their dogs. Yes. There was a lot, a of, lot dogs. of dogs. Animals again. Mm-hmm. So we went on a cat hunt and then we were like <laughs> we inundated with dogs. Mm-hmm. To be fair though, those kittens had a really great house, and I wouldn't want to leave there either. They had a mansion. So let's get into the research because we might be confusing some people. And tell me everything. So Mark Twain, and this is according to his biography on Britannica.com, Mark Twain, whose pseudonym, of course, was Samuel Clemens, was an American humorist, journalist, lecturer, and novelist. And he has been called the greatest humorist the United States has ever produced. So let's just stop for a second. Let's talk about who Mark Twain was during his lifetime, right? He was a legend during his lifetime. And he is the author of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Let's see, you pretend you like Meriwether, but you're more of a Huckleberry kind of girl. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, I would name something Huckleberry. For sure. That is just fun to say. It is. But honestly, how many legends do we know that were a living legend in their own lifetime? Like Michael Jackson? Michael Jackson is the best the comparison ab- I can bring to Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. So keep that in your head as this living legend. Living legend. And we were right that Mark Twain was from Missouri. I knew it. Mm-hmm. He was actually raised in Hannibal, Missouri. And he was a riverboat pilot on the mighty Mississippi River. That's amazing. That sounds so romantic. He did so much. He also spent time in the American West in Nevada and tried mining. Never in my life have I ever heard that. Well, he wasn't good at it. He was unable to make a living as a miner, and so he turned to journalism. Well, luckily for American literature, right? Right. If he would have succeeded, we would never have Mark Twain. And became a journalist in Virginia City, Nevada. And that's where he began to make real money as an author. But... Sadly, Mark Twain was never able to hold on to his money. Oh. He invested poorly, and he would lose most of it. So he'd, he'd make it, and he'd lose it. I heard that about him. Mm-hmm. And actually, he filed for bankruptcy. Okay, but what got him to Elmira? How did he meet his wife there, right? Because well, she's his from there. Right. So the, he was like traveling the way I met Chad and was like, I, I'm going to stay here with, with this person. Because that's what I did. I traveled here, and I met Chad, and then I stayed. I was like, I like him. <laughs> No, it wasn't. It wasn't the same story. Samuel 
or Mark Twain was enjoying his literary success for a little while before he lost all his money, and he was traveling abroad. And when he was in the Mediterranean, he met a man named Charles Langdon, who was from Elmira. The two of them became friends, and Charles showed Mark Twain a picture of his sister Olivia, and apparently it was love at first sight. I showed you a picture of Olivia. She is adorable. I can totally get it. A hundred percent. She is the sweetest. I I know. She's so sweet. And uh, the pair corresponded with each other frequently for about two years and then were eventually married in Elmira in 1870. So Twain actually got married there. I cannot believe that. Very cool. They actually settled in Buffalo, New York. But like I've already said, they did spend time in Elmira over the summers. Not a clue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they went on to have a family. Tell me. Twain and Livy had four children. Oh, that's a nice big family. Well, not exactly, because Langdon, their son Langdon, died in infancy. Oh, that's terrible. I know, but it happened all the time back then. Mm. He was only 19 months when he passed. Baby. Susie was their next daughter, Mm -hmm. and she died again at a young age, at the age of 24. Okay. And then there was Clara. Now, Clara lived to old age. Okay. Clara was 88 when she died. Okay. And then the last daughter, her name is Jean, or sometimes we're seeing it as Jane in some of the the documents. Okay. So uh, we're We're going to call her Jean. We were feeling suspicious death. Mm -hmm. The baby seems... I mean, it, like you said, it happens all the time. Let's talk about Susie. How did she pass? Well, Susie, who died at the age of 24, apparently she was daddy's favorite. Aw. And all, by the Can way- Can you relate? <laughs> rude. It's true. It, just, it is true. Fine. Um, Susie died at the age of 24, like I had already said. Her parents were touring because remember how I said Twain lost a lot of his money? Mm-hmm. So what he had to do is he had to go on these tours- you know, as Mark Twain to make money so people could see him. And that's how he made a living. So he traveled a lot. Okay. So he and Livy were both out of town. Yeah, they were overseas in Mm -hmm. Europe doing a European tour. When Susie developed a fever and died of spinal meningitis while they were out of town. Can you imagine being that far away when your child needs you and having to like get on a boat? No. That is unimaginable. Well, and with communication being what it was, you might come home and found that your daughter died and you would have not known anything about it. I can't. I cannot. That's terrible. But psychically, did that death seem suspicious to you? Honestly, it doesn't. It's pretty straightforward. Right. Fever, spina meningitis, gone. Yeah. Sorry, Susie. Sad, but sorry, Susie. So let's look at the other daughter. We know Clara lasted until... 88. She was 88. She lived a long life. Old age, 88. But then there was Jean. Tell me about her. Jean was born in Elmira. Mm-hmm. By all accounts, she was kind-hearted and had a fondness of animals. I like where this is headed. Mm-hmm. We would be besties. <laughs> she actually founded and worked with a number of societies for the protection of animals. Love it. That's I know. so sweet. That is fantastic. When she was 15 years old, she developed seizures and it was then known that she had epilepsy. Oh. And Twain indicated that there was some head injury that happened in her childhood that was responsible for the seizures. Okay. I don't know a lot about epilepsy. 
Well, I can tell you what Twain said. He described Jean's epilepsy as causing her, aside from the actual seizures, she had mood swings and erratic behavior. Okay. I, I've seen Degrassi Junior High. The show from the 80s? Yes. The Canadian show. I love it. I know. It's fun to listen to them talk. I'll tell you about I'll tell you about it. Sorry. <laughs> but I remember there was that scene with the seizures, but there wasn't a stigma about mood swings or character flaws. I mean, you're also basing your knowledge on a TV show for kids in the 1980s. I, so excuse you. I am a Judge Judy lawyer. I don't understand why you're like just judging catching you? on. Okay. Like that's, that's my where that's your education, education comes from exactly. television. I see. I see. Apparently, her symptoms were so bad that she was committed to a colony for epileptics in 1906. Is that a thing? Apparently it was a thing. A colony of epileptics. Jill, treatments for epilepsy were not so advanced in 1906. Okay, so what would my treatment options be? Okay. I believe this comes from a brief history of epilepsy. Correct. So according to this source... Treatments for epilepsy at the turn of the century would include diet. All the time. Whenever anything's wrong with me, my doctor's like, your diet. And I'm like, really? I support your doctor. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Living conditions. Okay. Okay. I'm not sure what that means, but changing your living conditions, like fresh air, fresh air was huge. Like when you were out west and your allergies felt so much better, changing where you're living. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that I would equate my allergies to epilepsy, but I see where you're going. I know, 1906. Mm-hmm. Bloodletting, good old leeches. You know what? There is nothing a good old bloodletting can't cure. It's like Windex today. It really is. It really is. Or the is. Tussin. Vicks. I'm a Vicks oh, freak. Oh, yeah. I love me some Vicks that sting. Right. Mm. It's a it's a panacea. It cures everything. It does. Leeches. 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 Still the way to go. They're still using leeches. I think they're underutilized <laughs> nowadays. I think we should bring them back. <laughs> okay. Oh, medical herbs. Oh, well, of course. Of course. I like medical herbs. Who doesn't? And something called truffination. Truffination, Jill. Truffination. Mm-hmm. Or in other words, boring a hole in your skull. Okay. How did we get this far? <laughs> we were, were talking about diet, fruits and vegetables, fresh Even air. A leech, a leech seems. But if that doesn't work, here, let's put a hole in your head. Like, no. Right. No. Wow. Okay. And no. Okay. So it would seem pretty scary, I would imagine, to be taken from your home. Oh, my God. Right? To be taken from your home and shipped off to a colony where they treat epilepsy, well, knowing well, that some of the treatments are freaking barbaric. If someone was like, we can drill a hole or you can go to the colony and be like, colonize me. Like, bring me to the colony. But you don't know what they're doing at the colony. You think that they're drilling holes in the col- at the colony? Chill. It's on the list of options. No. No. I mean, maybe maybe it was like you walk in, you sit down, they hand you a menu and say, "Here, here's a menu of options. What are you what are you going to choose to treat your epilepsy?" I will have the uh, medical herb <laughs> and maybe the life to style change. I don't know. I'm just saying it would be scary okay. because you don't know diet, what the options are. Diet or burrowing it through my skull. Oh, so, that's a hard wait, one. Wait, so I can still eat cake. <laughs> I can still eat cake, but I'll have a hole in my head. Hmm, hold on a second. Bring me the frosting. <laughs> That's a good point. 
<laughs> no, but seriously, if that's one of the treatments and you're going to a colony no, to get treated, you don't that, that would be scary. That's 100% frightening. Absolutely. We actually have a quote from Jean herself. Okay. Poor the, dear. Yeah, this was oh my goodness. Um this is from her diary, Jill. Where is this from? It is. It's from her diary. Okay. I'm going to read it. It was desperately hard to leave father and Clara in order to come out to a totally strange place. I tried my hardest not to cry before them, but as the time of departure began to approach, I found it growing more and more difficult to restrain myself, especially when Clara began to cry too. Then it was really hopeless. Poor little father seemed to feel bad too, and the whole business was perfectly horrible to me. I wanted to cry hard whenever I spoke to anyone, and yet at the same time, I wanted to refrain from showing my feelings too plainly. I have goosebumps right now. And scene. I was going to say, that was, you transported me. No, for real. I was like, oh my God, I'm heartbroken. No, no, totally serious. Oh, she spoke through you. I there just, was even a, like a little bit of an accent, but it wasn't like a caricature. Right. I felt yes, that coming on. Yes. I felt it. Yes. I liked this. Okay. Good work. Thank you. Get the town some water. <laughs> Please continue. I'm sorry. That's your, you're oh. off. <laughs> Line. <laughs> um, well. What no happened way. to Jean? What happened? Jennifer. Yes. Jennifer. I ne- I literally never heard of anyone being committed to for epilepsy. But why? If it was so hard for them to see her go, why was she being committed? Well, it was said that Jean's condition was just too much for Mark Twain to handle. Okay. Because it, was, it just came two years after his wife's death. Olivia died in 1904, and two years later, his daughter is terribly sick. And so according to Karen Lystra's biography, The Untold Story of Mark Twain's Final Years, which came out in 2004... According to her, she said that two years after his wife Olivia's death, quote, Clemens was unable to handle the enormity of Jean's affliction and inappropriately thrust the responsibility on Isabella Lyon. Okay, wait a second. Inappropriately, for sure, because Mm -hmm. who is this woman and why would this woman have control to commit his daughter? Okay, so Isabella Lyon, or Isabel Van Cleek Lyon, was born in 1863 and died in 1958. Okay. She was Twain's personal secretary for most of his final years. Again, okay. She gained significant influence over his personal and business affairs. Okay. And Jill, get this. She was said to have swooned all over him and affectionately called him the king. I know. I'm throwing up a little in my mouth, too. Seriously, It gets worse. Why did Isabel Lyon ultimately commit Jean? Okay, so there was a claim. In fact, Isabel made the claim Mm -hmm. that Jean physically attacked the family maid, Katie Leary, on two different occasions in 1906, saying that she wanted to kill her. Well, what did the maid do? Because literally, <laughs> yesterday morning, you told me you were going to stab me in the face. Jill, we said we weren't going to bring that up. You were being did. especially I did. I annoying. Did it. I did it. You were being especially it. annoying. I don't believe you. <laughs> you stopped, didn't you? <laughs> I sure did. I was like, she's 
She's serious. Okay, seriously. Murder, again, saw Degrassi. Murder <laughs> did not seem to be a side effect. Being a homicidal maniac was not a side effect of epilepsy. Still so. isn't, I would imagine. I, I, I believe it's not. Right. It doesn't line up. Not at all. No. Your epileptic has nothing to do with violence. Dropping the BS bomb right here. <laughs> all right. Let me ask you a question. So this woman that is now closely entwined in Mark Twain's affairs mm-hmm. just says, you know what? Your daughter wants to murder people. Mm-hmm. She needs to be committed. And he just blindly goes along with it. What is it? Tell me about this person because she would have to have some kind of credibility. Because I, if someone told me Bug bit someone, I would be like, "You're no, no. And they're like, we have to take Bug away. I'd be like, no, you're not. So I know my dog. I know. Like, you don't know him. So explain to me who she is and how she had that kind of authority mm-hmm. in Mark Twain's mm-hmm. in Mark Twain's affairs. It's a great question. Okay. Isabel Lyon first met Mark Twain 16 years before this incident. So she had been in the family a long time by now. Okay. Okay. And remember, Twain's wife just died in 1904. Okay. So they met because she, Isabel, was working as a governess for a mutual friend of Twain and the Lyon family. Mm -hmm. She was 26 when they met. Okay. And described as pretty, petite, witty, and charming. I hate her. I know I do I too. Totally she needs an ass kicking for mm-hmm. sure. Apparently, oh, she came from privilege. Oh, great. Another reason. Mm-hmm. Mm. Her family had lived on an estate in the Hudson River Valley. Ooh. Her father was a professor, a writer, and a landholder. I wonder if he knew the the Roosevelts. They lived in the Hudson River Valley. I'll have to look that up later. Mm-hmm. Her father suddenly died in 1883 and her uncle a year later, and that left the women of the family without a male heir or without male relatives to support that them. That really does suck to have to be a woman in the early 1900s for those reasons. So Isabel, she had to go to work, and she found work as a governess for families in Hartford and Philadelphia to make money. That, that must have been hard. That must have been hard, but I hate her. So Yeah, it's true. Oh, well. Mm. Mm. She probably felt like she was meant for more than this. Mm, she probably felt too good. She, yeah, she deserved better. Mm-hmm. So according to sources, in 1902, Livy became ill and needed a secretary. Okay, I love Arr- this. <laughs> I'm feeling faint. Call the secretary. <laughs> like, what are you even saying? It's such a funny thing to say, but think about it. Like, if you're ill, there's really not much that doctors can do in 1902. Mm -hmm. But your household needs to keep functioning. Wow. So you can't do it. You really do need a secretary. So Livy becomes ill in 1902. She needs a secretary. And that's when Twain hired the pretty, petite, witty, and charming Isabel Lyon to be his wife's secretary. However, soon he preferred that Isabel be his own personal secretary instead. I, if Twain, if I was not Twain. feeling well and Chad was like, I got this pretty 26 year old, <laughs> beautiful, thin woman to live with us and be your secretary, I would be like, I, that, that's a problem. <laughs> that is a problem. This is not a thruple situation. What are you doing? Not okay. I want a man. <laughs> I want you to bring in a hairy man. Mm-hmm. The ugliest <laughs> person you can find. I don't care what their skills are. <laughs> and already here we see That's Twain problem. making questionable decisions. I would say this is red flag number one. Okay. If we can I call were, it that. If I were looking like at a, as a profile and like 
moments in someone's life where things are going awry, right. this would be like, um. Right. And if we see this, you know, his daughters oh, might have also sure. seen it. So in 1904, sadly, Livy passed away and Isabel moved into the family home. Oh, that's bad. With Twain and his two surviving daughters, bad. Clara and Jean. Not liking it. She managed his household of servants. She cared for his daughters. She acted as his editor. So she would listen to him read drafts of his manuscripts and she would give feedback. She washed his hair. Okay. okay, There's a a variety of flags I'm seeing now. And painted his toes with iodine (laughs) when he had the gout. That what a woman. What a woman. If you're if that, you know what? She deserves she deserves a raise. I don't I feel a little sick inside. Ugh. You know, this is gross. This is really inappropriate and gross on so many levels. She painted his toes. How would you even iodine. I can see me having the biggest fight with dad. Be like, this is nasty. This whole situation is nasty. And I don't need her as my mommy. My mom just died. What are mm-hmm. you talking about? Mm-hmm. Taking care of his daughters. I would rebel AF. Yeah. And she was actually, he made her his power of attorney. <laughs> wow. Wow. So now she's not only painting wow. his toes, but she has authority to make decisions. Can I just say something? Like, he has adult children. Uh-huh. His children are adults. Uh-huh. And he's giving this toe painting trollop. Power of attorney? Yeah, he did. He did. So is are they a couple? She's washing his hair, painting his feet. I did not see evidence that they were like bumping uglies. Like there's no evidence I of mean, that. I mean, I think this, she was, this could be. She was an adoring audience. She was a worshiping admirer. There's obviously more here than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, you see mm-hmm. this intimacy and it's like. It, absolutely. Right. It's absolutely. gross. Absolutely. Okay. He also, oh, by the way, he spent a lot of money on her. And remember- See, they're totally doing it. I don't care. They're totally doing it. He didn't have a lot of money. It's not like he- Yeah. But he would buy her $1,200 dresses in today's money. My husband wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. She's totally banging the boss. Jill, There's there no is a quote it. from Isabel's diaries that says, the king would love to have me in rich, soft, clinging silks. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I don't like her. And they're totally doing it. Even if they're not, this relationship is, like, completely inappropriate. These adult women just lost their mother. Mm -hmm. Now they have this woman, this concubine, wearing tight-fitting silk dresses, walking around being like, I'm your new mommy now. Like, really? Mm -hmm. That cannot be a good scene. Mm -mm. They didn't like it at all. They, They were angry and they were jealous. Absolutely. Isabel controlled... Their allowances. That's not okay. Oh that my is not god! Okay. I am getting. I am getting riled. Are you up. being triggered right now? I really am. If I had to go to my dad's girlfriend for money, yeah, that would not happen. Mm-mm-mm. So yeah, I mean, practically speaking, she Isabel was in control of all Twain's affairs, and that included the allowances for his children. It's not right. Mm-hmm. But Isabel, in her journals, she writes about Clara's increasingly unfriendliness. Well, yeah. What did she say? I I don't even. I, I, okay, tell me. Well, there was a story that you read that Clara wanted to be a singer. That's true. And had a piano teacher who was married. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he was good looking. The two of them 
were having an affair. Mm. Isabel told Twain about it around Thanksgiving in 1908, and because of the affair, Clara was completely banished from the house. I can almost see this whole thing happening. Her sitting down, Mark Twain, and be like, this is a bad look. Your daughter is sleeping with a married man. Like, she's the morality police? I know. Please. Do you think she was wearing a robe over the tight silk dress when she was having that conversation with him? This is just so wrong. This is really upsetting. This is so wrong. I feel so bad for Clara and Jean. If if you were Clara, you would be like, and I'm out. Like, you wouldn't even look back. You'd be like, right. and goodbye. Right, right. Four months after this, Clara accused Isabel of embezzlement and claiming that she shortchanged her on her allowances. I believe that embezzlement I, was happening. 100%. And I think that probably... Clara being banished from the house emboldened Isabel Lyons to start. Right. Exactly. Because she's systematically yes. getting rid of other people in his life exactly. that might be onto her bullshit. Exactly. So exactly. she's already estranged him from Clara. Mm-hmm. Now Clara's banished. Mm-hmm. Who's left? Jean. Jean. <gasps> exactly. Now, there have been recent Twain biographies that accuse Isabel of keeping Jean away from her father. Oh, my God. Shut up. Isabel lied to both Twain and Jean's doctor about the inability of the household to manage Jean's illness, being epilepsy. And she charted Jean's seizures and wrote of them in her personal diary. She was building a body of evidence to present. That's right. That's wow. exactly right. But That's what they, some biographers are saying. I can see... Uh, that's what we're saying. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. We agree with these biographers. Uh-huh. On Saturday, January 27th, 1906, while Twain was away on a trip to Washington, Isabel wrote of a significant incident that occurred in the house involving Jean. Okay. I'm going to read from her diary. Isabel's diary? Isabel's diary. Okay. This was a tragic day. I came in from a shopping expedition for Jean and others. When I went into her room for tea, she told me that a terrible thing had happened. In a burst of unreasoning rage, she struck Katie a terrible blow in the face. The significance of it is what is so terrible. For now, she has done what I have seen in her and feared she would do. Oh, my God. She described the wave of passion that swept over her as being that of an insane person. She knew she couldn't stop. She had to strike. And she said that she wanted to kill. She was sorry that she hadn't. To her mind, it doesn't seem right not to finish any job you have begun. And she had wanted to kill Katie. Wow. That is directly okay. from her journal. First of all, can I just tell you, putting on my FBI profile cap right now. Talk to me. It is inconsistent. First, she's saying she was in a fit of rage, like a passionate, like I want to kill her. And then she said, I've been planning to. Now I'm, I'm planning against it because I didn't get to finish it. And I just slapped her. That does not make sense to me. It all, And this whole thing is hearsay. Also, also she's saying she saw this in her. Right. Really? I saw this coming. Really? I saw this coming. Really? I warned the king. Did this you? is so upsetting. Did you, Isabel? Poor Jean. I know, poor Jean. Do you believe her? No, not at all. <laughs> I know, I don't either. I didn't even have to ask that. But there was corroboration oh. of Isabel's story by Katie the maid. Okay, I don't think power dynamic. I, I don't know. believe. I mean, Katie would say anything if Isabel's throwing money at her. She's running the whole household. Right. She's the, po- she's the power of attorney. Right. This is the person that you can't piss off or you're going to be fired. Exactly. Sorry, Jean, but I got. Right. I need a job. So Katie, the maid, corroborates Isabel's story. Jesus. But there's more. Stop it. Isabel 
goes directly to Jean's doctor. She's evil. And she presents her notes on all of the data mm. that she has collected oh about Jean and Jean's behavior and Jean's quote-unquote fits. If I didn't want to beat her up before, she definitely needs a psychic ass kicking. She does need a psychic ass kicking. Now, let's remember, too, that Twain was out of town when this happened. Oh, you know what's fishy about this, Jill? Every time Jean has like a big fit, Twain's out of town. Oh, yeah. For instance, she has this these notes in her journals that Jean had three seizures while Twain was suspiciously at dinner with friends. Mm-hmm. So all of her data is like she's the only one seeing this happen. Right, right. So she goes to the doctor to be like, doctor, look at this data. Doesn't mm-hmm. this seem dangerous to you? Doesn't it seem like she should be somewhere else right. being taken care of? Mm-mm-mm. Right. Mm-mm-mm. What does the doctor do? Right. Apparently, the doctor agreed with Isabel because she gets sent Mm -hmm. to the epileptic colony shortly thereafter. Terrible. Right. Is it clear that Jean was suffering from epilepsy? Yes. Okay, but I don't understand the trying to kill somebody. Like, that that, doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Okay. So it seems like something somewhere is off. Obviously. Yes. Tell me. Well, remember Karen Lystra? And I mentioned her book before. The 2004 biography, Dangerous Intimacy, The Untold Story of Mark Twain's Final Years, Lystra questions the accuracy of Isabel's telling Mm. of the events that happened, specifically Jean's violent behavior. And the author believes that Isabel wanted both daughters out of the way because she wanted to marry Twain. Well, she wanted... I think it's so much more than that. She wanted control. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be a, a part of his legacy. She was obviously stealing and cheating him and i almost think like she's getting off and manipulating him i agree i mean she's probably a classic narcissist and sociopath sociopath here for sure again we're not doctors but our psychic impressions are pretty clear on this (laughs) so it was okay so she's obviously cozying up to him because of the prestige of it all of course but he is a legend in his day so poor gene who's a victim of this absolutely is sent off to this epileptic colony does she die there is that how she died well With holes being drilled into her head she did get to come home oh my god but not until twain fired isabel thank the lord mm-hmm. mark twain really he, mm-hmm. he finally fired her and let gene come home See, to me, that is a total sign that Isabel was the only reason why she was gone. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Good point. I know. I'm so glad she got fired. Oh, my God. It was a whole thing. They had a falling out. He accused her of stealing and a bunch of other things. Not important. Wow. But someone took off the rose-colored glasses. No kidding. Looks- you know, I'm kind of proud of Twain. Really? Well, because he didn't have to. How many people do you know who just continue to live with a lie because it's easier? Honestly, from my research, what happened was is that Isabel really did want to marry Mark Twain. Mark Twain turned her down and she met another man. Oh, she's cheating on him. Exactly. And her attention went with the other man. She inevitably married that guy. And then... And then she wasn't painting Twain's toes anymore? Well, she may have been, but this (laughs) this guy was there too. So her attentions were being divided. Twain Twain was probably an egomaniac. 100%. Deal with that. Go go with your husband. Right. I need my girl. So he was probably looking... He was probably... That was part of the um, taking off the rose-colored glasses. Like he was looking at her with more of a critical eye because she wasn't all about him anymore. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So Jean comes home in April of 1909. 
She was at the colony for about two and a half years. That's the saddest. It's just such a waste of time. Is there any evidence of the type of treatments that she underwent while she was at the colony? They don't talk about it at all. Okay. I would imagine that their relationship was pretty strained when Jean got home. Is there any evidence or do you have any information? Well, Mark Twain was extremely apologetic towards his daughter. I bet you he was. After he fired Isabel and he was actually groveling to both of them. Good. Good. Right. Um, Jean even was able to take over some of Isabel's roles. Oh my God. As secretary. She must have loved it, to be honest. I hope she wasn't painting his toes, though. It seemed that they actually started to grow close, Twain and Jean, in their relationship. But sadly, it was short lived. Because just six months later, Jean passed away at their full time home in Connecticut in December of 1909. Apparently, she had suffered a heart attack during a seizure. I just, I feel so bad. So much time wasted. I know. It's a real tragedy that they were to reconcile, that Twain would come to his senses. Jean would come home and they'd be happy for six months and then she's dead. It's just tragic. She apparently was getting the household ready for the holidays. It was the Christmas season. Yeah. And she apparently overdid it. Mm-hmm. Overexerted herself. Overexerted herself. Poor thing. Ugh, so how did he take it? He took it really hard, Jill. Her body traveled from Connecticut to Elmira, where she would join her family at Woodlawn Cemetery. But he couldn't travel with the casket. He mm-hmm. couldn't bear it. And he wrote of Jean's death in his autobiography, It Was the Final Chapter. Because Twain himself would die almost four months to the day Mm. that Jean died. It's terribly upsetting and tragic. And I just keep like the word waste. Like just what a waste. Mm -hmm. What a Mm -hmm. waste of time. Mm -hmm. And also Twain notes in that chapter that Jean hadn't been sick for months. No fits, no violence, no mood swings. She came home and she was fine. Oh, Isabel. (sighs) Villain AF. Like, this is ridiculous. It's just evil. It really is evil. I mean, it's obvious here that Jean needs a voice. It's, I mean, hello. Obvious. But you know what, Jill? I will say this. The take that you and I have, we know so strongly what happened here. Isabel Lyon is the villain here. There is no two ways about it. It is so obvious. To us. Screaming. But scholars disagree. That does not make sense. I'm serious. I do not believe it. All right. There is this historian, Laura Scandera Trombley. She wrote Mark Twain's Other Woman, The Hidden Story of His Final Years in 2010. It was published. Professor Trombley has dedicated 16 years of research into the Twain-Isabel affair, and she believes we have Isabel all wrong. Is she related to Isabel? Like, what what is she getting out of it? Because it's so obvious. Apparently, Trombley relies heavily on Lyon's writing pieces. So she's looking at Isabel Lyon's own journals, and she accuses Twain and his daughters, Clara and Jean, of mistreating Isabel. Oh, wow. Well, okay, the toes thing, painting his feet, that could be, that can be mistreatment. But what does she expect 
Isabel's writings to say. Exactly. We already see behavior. Isabel. She, Isabel's manipulative. She's using, using those writings. writings to to separate Twain from his daughters and get them committed. Exactly right. So we can't trust Isabel's own Why words. Why would you deep dive into her own words? That makes no sense. Right. And so, it was only Isabel's own words, other than Katie, but again, power dynamic, that has Jean being violent at all. Exactly. Trombley's book is, in essence, a defense of Isabel Lyon. Wow. Right. And she alleges mistreatment by Twain's daughters. Trombley blames Twain, too. Which, okay, that's fair. Because Twain was primarily concerned with himself and he used the people around him selfishly. Absolutely. Megalomaniac. We are of one mind there, Professor Trombley. She contends that if there was any excessive power in Isabel's hands, it was Twain's own fault. 100% right. Agreed. Just because Mark Twain was a narcissist does not mean that Isabel was not a criminal. Exactly. It just doesn't. Both are true. Both are true. Exactly. If I were Jean and I knew that this take was out there, I would be screaming out to you too. Just saying. Whether or not this professor Trombley knows it, I believe she was manipulated by spirit. Wow. To spend 16 years of her professional life reading Isabel's own words. Wow. That's deep. Don't you think? You went Like that doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't make sense. Like, consider the source. And she's spending years and studying just, just, these lies. Was she like tunnel vision? I don't, I don't that know. Did, that's intense. And what were you going to say? You and I talk about like how can people believe something mm-hmm. often. When it's so it's obvious. So ob- it's as plain as the nose on your face. <laughs> I'm like, dude, th- you can't believe this. Right. I just can't. Right. I just can't. I, I believe that Trombley believed that Isabel needed a voice. And I know we're talking like psychics. I believe. You're psych- that's like the show. <laughs> that's, that's what we do. Um, we're psychics, we're sisters. Right. Obviously, this is a professor of history and not a psychic. But I do believe that she thought, a- oh, this woman has been mistreated. And I think that Isabel was coming to her, whether or not Trombley admits it or understands that. She was inspired to write this. Exactly. Write it 16 years <laughs> long time it's a long time did she not have family to be like hey hey, hey maybe, maybe branch out <laughs> monopoly <laughs> something different anyway so we disagree with that take but it is totally clear that gene was pulling us to elmira let's that talk about gene wanted us to tell her story tell me about our hits Tell just me why. The animals. The animals. Just the fact that you spent 45 minutes hunting feral kittens in Elmira. They had a mansion. They literally had <laughs> a mansion. I know. It was the cutest it was thing. so cute. Oh, and the dogs in the cemetery? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jean was, by all accounts, she was kind-hearted and had a fondness of animals. You were getting hits about... Famous per- A famous person, ro- specifically... Poetry, author. Right. And you just being... You were like, let's go to Elmira. Right. It's out of our way, but sure. Right. And also that calling voice, my daughter, my daughter. And you were picking up on suspicious deaths. I don't think Jean's death was suspicious. That's a good point. But there were suspicious circumstances surrounding Jean's illness. Jean's condition for sure. Love. And being drawn to the planters. The planters were everything. I have a question. Do you think this is a psychic thing? Like, do you think normal people or other people will travel down that road and be like, what the f-? Like, when they look at the planters, 
Because it was really jarring for us. Like we were, we made a U-turn. We got out of the car. We were taking pictures. Like that was everything. But I'm saying would, would other people, not us, not looking for a story, pick up on that? Pick up on the energy there or feel that it's odd. Like would yeah. the average person be like, well, that's odd mm-hmm. that these planters have inscriptions on them. Mm-hmm. I would say so. Okay. Because, okay. because they do seem out of place. But they felt so charged. Yes. They were drawing us to it. It, it was sure almost were. like a beacon. They sure were. 100%. And now that completely makes sense because one of those planters was there for Jean. Yes. And Isabel was not a victim and Jean was. Can I tell you what's interesting about the planter is that if you notice Jean's death date isn't there, Mark Twain could never go back to that town after Jean died. He never went back he to never Elmira. Went back. It's my understanding that he said that town has all my beloveds and he couldn't oh. bear going back. I just got chills. Do you think we did a good job, Jill, giving Jean voice in this episode? I really do. you think do. she's more at peace now? I really do. To me, she was a good, kind-hearted person, and it seems that she did forgive her father. I believe she at did. At the end. How lovely that they had that closure together. I know it was only six months, but I think the story would have been much more tragic had they not reconciled before both of their deaths. When Isabel Lyons was fired and Jean had gotten the news, I'm not sure how she had gotten in the news, but she wrote to her dad and basically said, Papa, can I come home now? And he said, my dear child, I welcome you home as if your mother's arms were open, welcoming her home herself. I'm going to tell you one more thing. Tell me. In closing, uh, Katie the maid that mm-hmm. Isabel accused Jean of trying to murder. She um, filed charges. <laughs> she did not. In fact, she stayed on at the Twain household even when Jean returned. So I find it hard to believe that she would have stayed on if she was actually afraid for her life. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way. Mm-hmm. I don't care how hard up for work you are. You're right. not going to go somewhere where you think you're going to die every day. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for this episode. Welcome season three officially. Yay! And we are making a change. We are making a change. We are starting now, uh, dropping an episode every two weeks throughout the year. So we've been getting a lot of feedback lately about how you guys want more of us. And it's so sweet. Thank you so much for everyone who's reached out. Emily, Di, Kirsten, thank you guys. We love you. We really appreciate you. So we're listening. Every other week, we're going to be dropping a pod. Yay! So please check out our website, commonmystics.net. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Common Mystics Podcast. Listen in to wherever you're listening to your favorite pods. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good night. Bye.